0: But you can do the job when you're in town. Later on,
1: we'll conspire as we dream by the fire. To face unafraid plans that we've made walking in a way. Slave ring, are you listening, in the lane, the snow is glistening, a beautiful sight, we're happy tonight, we're walking in a winter wonderland, gone away is a bluebird, if this day is a new bird.
0: Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by our host and stars of this show, Mark Wiley, Will George. This is a day at the yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. Episode 387 on our network. Hope you guys enjoyed a little Christmas music. We'll play that through the end of the week and and all through next week. Next week will be our last week of programming before the holiday. We'll be off for two weeks, but we'll be playing the 10 most popular shows over the course of those two weeks. So hopefully the voting is continuing and we'll, we'll certainly listen to our audience as we always do. But we just want to thank that audience. I challenge you to hit 60,000 subscribers by Christmas. You did it early this week, so we appreciate that. Um, Last year at this time, we were about 3,000 subscribers, so you certainly have helped us grow a ton. Keep us climbing up the charts of iHeartRadio's podcast network. You guys know how to do that. Five stars, write some great comments at the end, and that'll help us continue to prove to iHeart that they made a right choice. Uh, To black out coffee now, Be Awake Not Woke. That's our special sponsor here. Coffee is on Mark and Will for this month and all of 2024. I don't know how these guys are going to afford it, but um, if you want to get to Blackout Coffee, you can go to checkout. And at checkout, you type in the code WILLG, capital W-I-L-L-G, 20, or Mark W, M-A-R-K-W, 20, at checkout. I would alternate every other guy every other time, so that way we're not breaking the bank on these guys. But they're going to pay for coffee this month for everybody. And then all through the new year. So thanks so much, guys. You guys are the most generous hosts I've ever met in my life here. And to our probably our most faithful listener, our very first guest on the podcast network, Ted Kubiak, he helped us get this thing going. Three-time world champion, shortstop for the Oakland A's. He's got two great books I recommend as stocking stuffers for your baseball lover. Old School gives Ted's view on the game of baseball when he played and how it looks today through the lens of a veteran baseball player. And also, his the best fielding manual I've seen. Uh, much better than what you guys are getting. You young guys are getting on YouTube. Thank God. But how to field a ground ball? It's a comprehensive approach to fielding the ground ball. Um, it, it is. It, I, I recommend it. It's on my bookshelf. My kids have gone through it, and uh, and I recommend it from Ted. And, and uh, with that, I want to welcome our guest. We have a uh, world champion amongst us today. Um, world champion with Texas Rangers. The longest tenured scout that does advanced scouting now for them. Uh, in their system, but the longest tenured scout with the Rangers, Mike Gross. Mike, welcome to our show today.
2: David, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, we're we're excited to have you. I mean, we 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 know who you are, and we've we followed your career. But the, your bio is just extremely impressive, and the guys are going to get through that with you today. But may, may I ask a question, guys, just to get started before we uh, we we get into deep kick, into Mike's but Mike kick Mike's, you sh- share with our audience just how you got into scouting. What what was what got you into scouting?
2: It was a um... It was kind of kind of happenstance, really. I had uh, just come off the uh, out of the what I thought I wanted to do, maybe on the executive side as an assistant GM for a minor league team. Uh, did that for one season in Winston Salem. Did not really enjoy it as much as I thought. It, it was too close to the field. I was too close to being removed as a player, and I just missed the baseball part. So I had taken a position as a uh, an assistant baseball coach at a junior college and. While recruiting a player, I ran across Rudy Tarasas, who at the time was the uh, Rangers area scout in the Midwest, and he put me on as what was called an associate scout back in 1988, a bird dog, for you know, old terms, bird dog scout, and uh, I, uh, I went out, kind of got us a player that uh, in the draft, we didn't sign him, but uh, the young man had a great 15-year NBA career, Anthony Peeler. That was the first player that I had worked out and recommended. Wow. At, Missouri,
0: right? Missouri, University Tiger.
2: Of Missouri. Yeah. He was a high school player out of Paseo high school and, uh, just an incredible athlete probably could have played whatever sport he wanted. And, uh, we, we drafted him, obviously didn't sign him. And, uh, Rudy introduced me to Doug Gassaway and Sandy Johnson, who Sandy was our scouting director. And, uh, they led me along as a first part-time guy. And then, uh, into a full-time stature for the Midwest area job. I love that.
0: Athletes are athletes, right? I, I coached no. college basketball for 20 plus years. And um, yeah, I mean, these guys that, that are at the top of their game at that, they can they can play pretty much anything. It's just a matter of what they put their mind to. Um, Will, Mark, I'll pass it off to you guys.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll go first. Uh, You know, Mike's one of those guys, uh, as we talk about all the time, uh, relationships with people that you truly love being at the ballpark with. He's one of those guys. And uh, he and I actually had Toronto for two years where I was really getting to see him a lot more. Unfortunately, I don't have Toronto anymore. Uh, He does still, but um, we still talk. We run into each other and – spring training, and I consider him a really dear friend. He's got a tremendous life story where uh, I was actually the pitching coach in Hagerstown, Maryland in 87, and that was the year he was in Winston-Salem and we did first meet there. I vaguely remember meeting him. Uh, Maybe it was the uh, overdose of the smell of tobacco from the factory right next to the ballpark, but – But he's been a he's been a friend for years, and he's got a great life story that I'd love to, you know, delve into a little bit, um, where he nearly lost his life, and uh, he's he's a grateful man who's a good man, who a good family man, and great scout as well, and a great friend. So, uh, Mike, why, why don't you tell a little bit, you know, about that tragic accident and you know, moving on from that. And then, uh, then, you know, your mentors, Sandy and Gassaway and Rudy are all great baseball men, uh, who built a good organization down there too.
2: Absolutely. And I, uh, I was just coming off the field as a player. I had my stellar one year Northwest league career. I was a 20th round draft choice by the Rangers out of uh, Phillips university. It's a, it was a small NAIA school in Oklahoma. It's it's not there anymore, but, uh, and so I went and played, had a pretty good year and went into spring training and the Rangers and I had a small disagreement. I thought I should go to a ball. They, they thought I should go home. So I ended up going home and didn't really know what I wanted to do at that time. I ended up managing a sporting goods store called the athlete's foot in uh, in the Denver area, but I, I baseball was in my blood. I sent out resumes to every major and minor league team in the country, and I got three responses. One was Winston Salem, one was Albuquerque, and the other was Oakland. And the Winston Salem one ap- appealed to me the most. I big Andy Griffith fan, North Carolina, <laughs> it just it, it appealed to me, so I went there. And was the assistant GM, which back in those days, we didn't have the big staff that these minor league teams have now. It was basically four of us. We did everything from sell ads to paint wall signs, fix bathrooms, nail nails, whatever needed to be done. We did it. And it was the off season after 87. And I really did not want to keep going in that realm. It was too close to the field. I I missed the field. I thought maybe I would try to go coach. And I had uh, talked to my junior college coach back home, and he mentioned that there was a position that I might could get. So I was prepared to go back to Kansas City and try to get that. But uh, I had some obligations left, so I wanted to put the stadium to rest. And part of that was to mow the entire grounds. The old ballpark in Winston-Salem sat down in a bowl where the bleachers were built into the side of the hill. So each down each sideline, there, there was berms, big grass berms, and mowed them all summer and no instances. Well, this one time the tractor I was riding bucked and tipped and I dove off the tractor, I dove the wrong way. I dove down the hill and I was sliding down the hill face first. And I could hear the tractor coming behind me, tumbling behind me. And before I could get out of the way, it, it hit me and ended up landing on top of me. I could not get out. The, uh, the cast iron part of the belly mower had me pinned across both thighs. I was on my stomach. I could not get any leverage to move. You could not have picked the tractor up and set it on me any any better I mean my head was out the uh the back two wheels and my feet were out the front so I mean it was literally on top of me Wow! and I laid there there was nobody around there wasn't supposed to be anybody around till the next day and severe panic set in I I ended up waving at airplanes yelling as loud as I could anything I could think of. I scratched and I clawed. They said when they found me, there were like one inch grooves in the ground where I had tried to pull myself out and I just couldn't, couldn't get any leverage. But, uh, uh, six hours I ended up being under the tractor. And I know that because my watch broke. And so we knew what time the accident happened and, I heard somebody out in the parking lot. The fairgrounds in Winston-Salem at the old ballpark, Ernie Shore Field, were right across from our stadium. And they were having a tractor trailer show or mobile home show, one of those two. And I heard somebody. And I'm like, if I can hear them, they're going to hear me. So I got my last little bit of energy. Because I'll be honest with you, I was prepared just to I had said my prayers to God. I was going to lay my head down, go to sleep and just let whatever happened, happen. But uh, I heard this and so I yelled and he jumped over the fence, found me. And um, the process of getting me out from underneath there and to the hospital. You know, when I got to the hospital, I, I didn't know how bad I was. You know, the doctor asked me if there was anybody he could call. And i'm like yeah you know call my landlady tell her to bring me some new clothes so i can go home but uh, that didn't happen i ended up my kidneys had shut down i ballooned up in weight they ended up having to do a bilateral fasciotomy on both of my legs to just to save my legs because they were drowning in the fluid and my doctor god love him man he because all the other doctors there were convincing him, just take his legs, take his legs, let's go. And he wouldn't do it. He wanted to do it this way. And by the time the surgery happened, I was basically, I was, I started bleeding to death. I I ended up coding. uh, I don't know. I've heard up to eight times. I I don't know. Obviously I was out of it. I wasn't keeping score, but uh, a lot of the nurses there and even the doctor this day were friends and they told me it was bad. I ended up 9 weeks in intensive care. Uh two more or about a month and a half in the North Carolina hospital. They wanted me to do my rehab in Kansas City cuz that's where my family was, so my mom and flew out and we flew back to KC on a uh, on a medical transport and I started my rehab there. They told me in the rehab hospital that there was a good chance that I wasn't going to walk. And if I did, it was going to be with apparatuses, braces, crutches. You know, that was kind of the scenario they were laying out. And so I really didn't know what to expect, but I'm like, you know what? No, I'm going to, I'm going to get out of here. The first day of therapy, my therapist wheels me down because I was in the wheelchair and she goes, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you on this tilt table I guess laying on your back, your blood pressure reacts when you first stand up. So she's like, we're going to incrementally stand you up. And I'm like, no, let's just do this. I just want to do this. Just stand me up. And then we're going to go over there to the parallel bars. And she's like, Mike, you can't use your legs. And I'm like, let's just do it. So she stands me up. I don't get dizzy. I'm doing okay. Okay. She puts me back in my wheelchair. I go over to the parallel bars and I did my arms only. I drug my feet, but I use my arms to go all the way across. And they're like, you're not going to be here long. So the uh, rehab was intense. My therapist, Gail Kelly, she was awesome. And she pushed hard and I would go down. Even in time frames I wasn't supposed to be downstairs in therapy. I went and did it myself. Uh, It was supposed to be a three-month program. I was out in about a month and a half. But still, I I walked out of the hospital with two leg braces, a knee cage, and a cane. And I have since gotten rid of the cane, the knee cage, one leg brace. I still have to wear the other. But uh, I feel like that was a huge accomplishment just to even be able to walk out of the hospital. And, you know, my dad was there. He helped me out. And i get got out of the car and walked up to my parents' house and my mom was just, just breaking down. It was a great moment for me. And, uh, you know, I, um, I think the lesson I learned in all of this for six hours, I tried to do something that I could not do. I turned it over to God and within 30 minutes I was out from under that tractor. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to wait six hours when in need next, next time I will go to prayer a lot sooner. And I learned my lesson.
1: Wow. (laughs) What a story. It's incredible, Mike. And, uh, you know, your, your gratitude for life and where God has put you is, is noticeable every day. When I see you, you're always, uh, a smiling good face to see at the ballpark. But, uh, Go ahead, Mark. I'll let you dig in first. Uh first round. Know, I just
3: uh, you know, you, you made mention of some mentors that you had and at your different stops and people that helped you along the uh, could you elaborate on that some? Yeah, you know,
2: it, Mark the uh obviously the first guy that got me signed to the associate contract was Rudy Tarasas. And and Rudy Rudy is I, I owe him everything. I mean when he, when he took me and set me down and said, Hey, we need a guy in this area. Are you interested? I'm like, yes, absolutely. And he gave me a lot of, a lot of his reports, some scouting bureau reports. And he said, Hey, study this, learn the terms, learn the words, you know, learn what scouting is, you know, not just, Hey, he's a pretty good player, but why is he a pretty good player? You know, what can he do? What are the tools? And when he introduced me to Doug, uh, Gasaway and uh, and then Sandy Johnson, you know, Doug, Doug took a liking to me right away. The first thing he ever said to me was, "Hey Jack, you been kicking any field goals lately?" I mean, that's just the uh, that's just who Doug was, and that was his way of saying, "Okay, I will take you, and I will help you get better." And riding around in the car, and I don't think this is done enough anymore. Will I mean, you you know, as a scout, you know. How important it was when your cross checker, scouting director, sat in the car with you, no doubt, and drove. And and these guys don't do this anymore. I mean, I uh, it, it amazes me because we expect these young guys to just know how to scout, and it's not just something you just pick up and do. You have to have somebody who trains you up, shows you what it means to be, you know what the tools are and how they work. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, having Sandy in the car, Doug would sit over there and in between his cat naps, we would talk hitting talk pitching. Same thing with Rudy. Rudy wanted to know, and, and this is what I, one of the things I loved about Rudy, he learned as much as he taught because talking back and forth, he would ask questions. I would ask questions and, that's the only way you can figure anything out in life is just ask questions. I mean, if you think you automatically know it, you know, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree.
1: You know, you, you mentioned that. And, um, my first, uh, delve into scouting was with the Orioles. Uh, I had been on the field and, uh, we had a front office change. They kept me and they asked me to do an area and, uh, then also be a pitching coach in the summer. And I had John Stokey, who was a legendary, very, very long time scout as a cross checker. And my scouting director was Fred Yulman Sr., who was part of the staff that helped build the 10 man staff in Cincinnati that built the big red machine. And then uh, when I got back in, you know, so those guys came in and they said, hey, put a week together. I'm going to ride with you you know so for for 7 days we drove together every day um you know then with the marlins I had Gary Hughes same thing he would come in spend three or four days uh I had Murray Cook as a cross checker who was a former general manager that I got to sit with and pick his brain so that mentoring time was incredible for a young scout for them to answer questions and say, you know, I've seen this guy twice and, you know, you know, both times he did this, you know, you know, they would go, well, why, why, why keep going back? You've seen him do it. You've had some history with him. You know what he can do. You know, it's like uh, I think now sometimes I think these guys go see the same group of high profile players so many times and they never go deep into their territory. You know, like I ask a lot of young scouts and you probably run across this too, you know, how many games were you the only scout at? We used to do that all the time. I had guys hidden in my area that nobody knew about. Um, you know, it was, you know, now they go, oh, I never, you know, they're always at a game where there's 40 scouts. And it's yeah, like, no doubt. I
2: get to uh, my, my spring training. I, I don't really do the spring training part anymore. I, for our club, I, they send me out to see amateur players, which I love. I mean, I, I love seeing the young kids and I always ask, you know, send me to the off-brand school, send me where nobody wants to go. I don't need to see the big time programs. You guys are going to see them enough. And and Will, you're exactly right. Nobody goes and sees the uh, the outlier player unless they all do it in a group. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's sad because there are players everywhere and there are players at every every level. I mean, one, one of the better players I signed, Travis Hafner, came out of a small junior college, Cowley County. Now yeah. – Cali's a national champ and, you know, world series a yeah. couple times, but so it's a good program, but yeah. still i talked to those coaches and he says the scouts don't come near like they used to.
1: No, that's, you know, for me up, up in New Jersey, the NJAC uh, division three used to have 18, 20 guys drafted. Nobody even goes and watches them anymore. Yeah. Say uh, over it. in Pennsylvania, the PSAC, uh where Joe Nathan came out of and, um, uh, gosh, it was somebody else from Millersville that was a real good big league player. I can't remember who it was, but, you know, same thing. Those guys don't even get looked at anymore. And uh, we spend all of our times at the Power Five schools thinking they're the only players that are out there. And the junior, poor junior colleges, there's tons of kids in junior colleges.
2: No doubt. And I, I think it's because the, a lot of the programs that cannot afford the track man data at their stadium, they don't get the same statistics to go into the office during the draft. And if I'm telling you, if they don't have the numbers, they're not going to draft these kids. And it's, it's a shame because, you know, there there's so much beyond the number in scouting and, you know, you know, that we all know that, but uh, it's just hard to get a player like that.
1: Yeah. You
3: know, Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, you know, it's funny that, we used to years and years ago, they used to hide players, even though they were drafted um they'd find a player somewhere, and they would never broadcast it to any other organization they you know they would bring a scout scouting director or somebody in from their own organization to look at a guy maybe at a low profile school or something. but you know, I think there's still a place for that stuff. I think yeah. there's still a place to go out there like you said, and see these guys. Without having a hundred scouts out there every time the guy pitches or hits, you know, um, you know, baseball. All you got to do is look at major leagues and and see where there's some guys that came from small schools or guys that weren't drafted or way dra- down in the draft when they had a longer draft. Um, you know that that are really good players in the major leagues. Well, that alone tells you they're out there. There's guys out there. And it even goes and reflects, we talk about it on the podcast all the time, the independent leagues. You know, for a while, there was nobody coming out of the independent leagues. All it took was one guy to make it to the major leagues and have some kind of impact. And all of a sudden, this becomes a valuable thing. Well, why wouldn't anybody thought that was a valuable thing to begin with? Is, right. That's what I say. Yeah.
2: Yeah, there's a there, there's a huge talent pool that I think gets neglected. And it, it's easy to look at the Power Five schools. You know, I mean, of course, there there are good players there, but uh, you know, it is it, it's like the best player at any given school is no better than the best player at any other given school. I mean, good is good, it is what it is. You know, maybe there's more of them at a power five, maybe their lineup goes one through six, somebody else's lineup maybe goes one through three or four, and that's that's the difference to me is the depth and the, that the power five schools offer. And, you know, I I uh you know, Sandy had a thing one time we were talking about a young man who was having um, a really good year and they, people were talking about him going in the first round and Sandy's like, let me tell you something. First rounders don't just pop up. They don't pop up. They're first rounders going in or they're not first rounders and I'm not going to pay a guy because he's having a good year.
1: Yeah. Hey uh, Mike, uh, you guys kind of had Evan Martin and he was not a real high-profile player, was he? No, Evan Carter or came Evan out Carter, of uh,
2: Elizabethan over in yeah. uh, eastern Tennessee. And, yeah. you know, Danny Clark, uh, our pitching coordinator at the time, knew knew of Evan. There were only probably three, maybe four teams that were on him. Now, granted, I think had it not been for the uh, the shortened season in 20, he would have got exposed and gotten noticed more. So, I mean, in fairness to everybody, yeah. But the guys that did their work early, they knew of him. And we had him in a in a workout in January. Our area scout, Derek Tucker, Ryan Coe, those guys were all over this. And that's, that's how we were able to land him.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: You know, I mean, it goes to – I mean, you're silly if you think people don't mature at different rates. You know, I mean, there's lots of guys that weren't very good in high school that end up going to a junior college or something to mature and gain 25 pounds of strength and all of a sudden they can throw harder, they can hit the ball harder, they can do different things. You know, you sometimes you disregard the the that part of it that people mature at different rates and and then when you go out and see these guys at these uh you know smaller schools or 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 places that that usually aren't scouted. You know, then then you see the talent. Then you see the passion and work ethic. You know, some of those guys have a chip on their shoulder because you know they know they're good and they can't play for Vanderbilt. You know, exactly. they know they're better than those guys on Vanderbilt, but they don't get a chance to show it, so they're going to show it at the level they're at.
2: Exactly. You know, it. Uh, you, I, I had signed Ian Kinsler too, who wanted to go Division One. Ended up, like you said, he was he was little coming out of high school. Had the tools obviously his tools were identified Arizona took him out of high school as like a 40th rounder and let him go as a draft and follow but he was underdeveloped Mark I mean your your point is perfect because you know I know personally when I came out I didn't play varsity to my senior year I mean I just wasn't very athletic I wasn't very good I was small I was skinny I had big size 12 feet my dad kept saying, "Be patient. You'll grow into them," and and I finally did. But, um, you know, I still run into people that I uh, went to high school with, and they're like, "Going, y-
1: you played pro ball?" and 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 like, "Yeah." You know, Mike, uh, the the industry used to also project on those high school players uh, that you saw. Uh, you know, when when I worked for the Marlins and. Wayne Hyzinga was our owner. We did have some money. We were an expansion team. We were into paying some high school kids, overpaying a little bit. But, you know, Gary Hughes and Oren Freeman and guys like that believed in pay him now or pay him later, you know, and, you know, you would, you know, Billy Koch out of high school, you know, uh, I had him in high, you know, um, the Mets ended up taking him. They didn't sign him for $15,000, if I remember correctly. And three years later, he's he's an over-a-million-dollar player out of Clemson. So if you're a good scout and you can project what that player is going to be, which I thought we did a good job as, and the people that used to do it it, were not afraid to project that a kid was going to get bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, I remember seeing Matt Morris in high school. Knowing that three years later in Seton Hall he was going to be a first-round pick, uh, Scott Schoenbeis uh, I saw in high school, Brett Laxton, a lot of really good guys that you know you had in good because you knew what they were going to be three years down the road. Exactly. And you know now it seems like you know we don't we don't want to we don't want to step out and project when it's easy, it is easy to do the players are going to get bigger and stronger and faster
2: yeah i mean and, and will you use the right word i mean projection you know there was a there was an old scout in the midwest that said projection will get you fired if you go too far yeah, but exactly. uh, but still you have to as a scout our job is not to see what they're doing right now and i think this is the problem where you know the current way we evaluate a player and the, and the former way, I'm not saying old, new, different, bad, whatever. I'm just saying different. It is the numbers tell you what they do right now. And it is a prediction. It's a predictive model. That's what it is. But there's no projection of body types or anything else. The predictive numbers are based on spin um, and things that, uh, you know, that we see with our eyes, but we don't really... Yeah, know we why
1: don't we see it. you know and, no. and we talk on here all the time Mike that um you know like the high school kid that gets drafted now has to be throwing 95 to ninety seven which in essence is not healthy
2: no that
1: we're learning that we would be in a much better place that if these kids just let themselves develop naturally. Um, they would get to that 95-97, but it would be down the road in a more healthy manner than they are now by expediting themselves in all these velocity programs, which in essence are causing lot, most of the injuries that we have.
2: I, I agree 100%. And, you know, to uh, to judge a high school player on major league criteria, spin rate, exit velocity, whatever, goes to Mark's point where these guys are not developed yet. They're not physically where they're going to be. They don't have their man strength. They simply are good players. And it's our jobs as scouts is to say, okay, this is what he does now. This is what he's going to do five years from now. And I just don't think that a predictive model can be effective continually when you're judging apples and oranges, when you're judging high school kids with major league talent. You know a thirty percent strikeout rate in high school, and you know how does that correlate? I don't know. You know the, the thing is is, and and we we've all seen these players. Will that they don't want to walk? They're the best player on the team, and nobody pitches to them, so they swing at crud, right. and they and they strike out. Does that mean they're strikeout guys? No, it means they're they're trying to yeah, help their team win.
1: Yeah, they're just aggressive. They haven't figured out an approach yet. Exactly. You know, I
3: wish they. I wish they still had the draft and follow. Yeah, because you know that goes right along with what we're talking about: kids maturing and 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 becoming different players, and you're able to project on them. But you know what? If they don't, if they don't uh, come around and show you what you're looking for, you just let them go by the next draft. You Mark, know, explain that a little. There's nothing before. wrong with having two first round picks. You know, you know, one that uh, you can offer the guy enough money uh, from the year before. You know, and then you end up drafting this year, and now you got two first round drafts coming out.
0: Guys, explain what the draft and follow is for our audience.
2: The draft and follow was implemented. It gave it gave you a chance to draft a high school player, a or a junior college freshman. And you had the rights to them for the entire season until the following draft. And it gave you a chance to get close to them. It gave you a chance to watch their development. And like Mark said, if they did not do what you thought, then the player would go back into the draft and was eligible to be redrafted. And I look at guys, you know, I've got a few big leaguers out of the draft and follow. You know, Travis Hafner was a draft and follow. He was tool wise, able to be signed after his freshman year of junior college. He didn't know anything about the game. He was from you know North Dakota, not exposed to all the big you know the big stuff. He played Legion ball in Jamestown, same program that uh, Darren Erstad was on. So he knew some things about the game, but he didn't know the little things. So watching him develop for a year and see that his base running got better, his defense got better. He, he learned to turn on the ball. Everything was the other way all the time. You could see the stair steps getting better. So we signed him, uh, Travis Hughes, Travis Hughes was an over the top 87 to 90 mile an hour pitcher. And the, the coaches at Cali where I did most of my work, he, uh, you know, got a lot of guys there, Dave and Darren Burroughs. They were, they were former, they were former uh, professional players and, they taught these guys how to be pros and, and they dropped Travis Hughes down to a lower slot. He's throwing 93 to 95 with ease. And it's, those are the progressions and that's what you're looking for when you want to sign the player, you think he's going to do it. So there's very little risk to drafting him because you got him for a year. If he turns out good, you hit, if he doesn't, then you let him go back in the draft.
3: I mean, you could see guys, Dave, that, you know, uh, there might be a good breaking ball in there, but they've never repeated it enough. Uh, you like their fastball. You like their body, their strength, and some other things. They may even have some baggage. They might have some baggage, that you heard, which is going to eliminate them from getting draft, like they hang around with the wrong people or whatever. You know how that kind of stuff goes. Sometimes that's just you know, rumors. Well, if you draft and follow a guy, you got a shot at seeing if those rumors are true seeing if that breaking ball is all of a sudden getting more consistent. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that that, that allowed you to do. I, I was really disappointed when they stopped that. Yeah,
2: I, uh, I agree. I loved I loved the draft and following. It hurt the junior colleges. I mean, it, it did. It, it set them back a little bit. But, you know, but the, the experience of being able to dig in the trenches to sign players, and to see how they developed really helped me as I went into pro scouting. It gave me an opportunity to see them young players, young talent in, in, in T-ball and A-ball and to watch them and to see just the little progressions that keep going. Sometimes it's like watching your kid grow. You, you know, your mom comes in and says, wow, he's really grown. And you're like, really? And sometimes it's like that in the rookie league. You're like little small incremental growth, but they keep going And it just helps on the pro side. And, and, um, it, it, uh, it, that that's what you look for as a scout.
3: You know, you talk about conversations and you mentioned Rudy and I, I was lucky enough to, to, when I came off the field for a period of time out of the big leagues as a coach, I ran into Rudy and we used to see each other all the time at games and we'd have dinner together. We were staying at the same hotels and stuff. And, And I was just amazed how many really good questions Rudy asked me as a coach of a big league team. Like, what do you look for? How do you deal with this? You know, he asked an unbelievable question. Then I would turn it and I'd say, Rudy, what do you look for? You know, like when you were doing amateur stuff, what did you look for? And uh, those are the conversations that baseball people have to improve our learning and, and what we know about the game. And, uh, you know, and, you know, the best scouts are some of the best people I know, you know, like they're so giving, they, you know, they're not going to tell you about a guy that they have their eye on, on a deal. Of course they're not, but they're going to tell you, you know, things they look for. Um, and they're going to ask you what you look for and they're going to learn things.
2: The, the good ones, Mark, and, I, and I'll, I'll just echo what you said. They seem to have a heart. A big heart, and it's all about the player. It's all about the game, and it's all about making the game better. And I mean that's that that's the difference for me and if you look at scout scouting in general. I think baseball in general, it is more of a business corporate world now, to where there's a lot of individualism. It used to be more of a family atmosphere, a family feel. We were all in it together. Everybody you know, of course, you're not going to give your super secret hideout guy up in Hastings, Nebraska, but you're going to make sure that your friends don't get get beat on somebody. And it's just uh, but but you're exactly right. The good ones have the big hearts because they care about the kids and they care about the game.
3: You know, it was funny when I first started doing pro scouting and, you know, there was a a lot of veteran scouts in in the ballparks and I was in Baltimore and I'd rented a car, you know, like a lot of the guys just stayed at the hotel and they just walk over to the ballpark. you know, when I was a rookie, so I was staying out by the airport (laughs) and driving in, you know, and I'll never forget. It was one of my first, first, uh, games I was scouting. There was a couple of really veteran scouts. I mean, guys well into their 60s, 70s year old guys. And I talked to them and tried to get information and they, you know, they were a little standoffish at first because, you know, the young guy on the block and, you know, they were old school and stuff. But I remember I remember we were going. It was the last game and it was like a day game on a Sunday. And we all had flights out that day after the game. And, and they were all they would put their bags at the hotel to, in storage to they'd go get them. They call a cab or something, go to the airport. So we were talking. I'll never forget this. I said, well, you know, I got a rental car why don't you let me just go with me? I'll go to your hotel. We'll pick it up. And we'll all go to the airport together. After that, I had those guys. They said, you know, the young guy, you know, I didn't realize at the time, but all of a sudden everybody was more friendly to me, all the veteran scouts because they passed around and said, this kid's a good guy, man. You know, he took care of us. You know, he's one of us. And after that, I, I felt like I belonged.
2: And I agree with that statement a hundred percent because the, the guys that, uh, You know, I can think of, I mean, I could name a ton of them. Mike Roberts, Joe Ford, you know, Hugh Alexander, uh, Jim Robinson. I mean, these guys, they're just, those are the guys that laid the groundwork in scouting. And to be a young guy who wasn't coming in as a know-it-all. I mean, I apologize to the young guys now. I'm like, look, I had these guys. You guys got me. I'm sorry. I (laughs) I do the best I can. Here's what I can offer. But it's different now, guys. They just – they don't ask questions. They, they seem to have the answer already. They don't value the experience. They don't value the uh, the quote-unquote old guys because we can't do anything for them in their mind. But I'll tell you what, one of the best nights of my life as a scout, back in the day after a Royals game at old Royal Stadium, or when they called it Royal Stadium, they had – after the scouts would go upstairs wait for the crowd, and we would eat the rest of the hot dogs that the media didn't eat and have a beer or two and talk about the game and talk about baseball. Best I had Buck O'Neill, Hugh Alexander, Doug Gassaway. Uh, I think Joe Ford was up there, and Denny Matthews, the radio guy, came over. Wow. And just sitting and listening to their stories, I don't think I said one word, and I had the best night of my life. Just listening. I, I
3: love that. I love that place. Yeah.
2: Yeah, going
3: name. in there after the game, and he having awesome. hot dogs and beer and shooting the yeah. ball with all these baseball guys.
1: Yeah. Phil- Philadelphia first, yeah, used to be
3: yeah. a little bit like that, yeah, too. Yeah,
1: Philly used to be like that at Veterans Stadium. Um, you know, fun, fun, funny thing, Mark, and you and I were both pitching coaches, and the guys who were hitters always would pick your brain extremely hard on pitchers. You know, T-Bone, Tom Giordano was beautiful. You know, Willie, Willie, you just saw the Yankees, right? Was that a circle change or a split, you know? (laughs) And Rudy was like that too. Will, you were a pitching coach. You were a pitching coach on this guy here, you know, but there were great conversations because I would pick their brains on hitters and, you know, we would help each other and, you know, the best was Deacon Jones when he was advancing and he knew what clubs I had. And uh the the it was during interleague play when he was advancing for the Orioles and I was working for the Marlins and they had a road trip with the Phillies and the and the Marlins. So I went through the Phillies for him and then he goes, What do you got on the Marlins? I go, Deacon, that's who I work for. <laughs> I go, go, I'm not giving you nothing on us. Oh, damn, that's right. I still thought you were with uh, the Indians. That's funny. Yeah, he he used to pull that
3: stuff trying to get information as funny as anything. Oh, gosh. So,
2: you you know, you can, uh, uh, doing some of the advanced stuff, I mean, you you can't see everything. You got to ask questions and, and other guys. I mean, we, you know, we went into, uh, and I was fortunate to be a part of advancing the, uh, the Diamondbacks with Curtis young and uh, Kendall Coleman on our staff. And just, I, I had, I started with Toronto. I went to Minnesota. All my teams were losing. They stuck me on the, uh, the, the diamond backs with these two guys. And it, it was unbelievable experience to be able to see not, not this, not the pitch by pitch advance work that it used to be where you had to Where was that pitch? What was it? You know, hard end, soft away. No, it wasn't like that. We were looking for stuff off the ball. How do they move? Their infielders shuffled their feet early on pitches. You could pick up pitches from their infielders. They like to flash signs from first base to right-handed hitters with open palm, closed palm. You know, things that probably weren't seen. Well, not probably, but the numbers doesn't tell you that. Just things you pick up with your you know, with your eyes, where they set their gloves. We had one of their relief pitchers just dead to right. And he had very little success against us because of it. But, uh, you know, those two guys, Curtis and Kendall were, I mean, we were just a great team. It was fun to be a part of it. It was fun to run out on the field and hold the trophy and yeah, have the confetti fly down. I mean,
1: that was uh, it was a great experience. Yeah, I know when I saw you, I was really happy to see, see that, Chris had brought you guys to to the series and got to enjoy those moments. Yeah, that
2: was a that was a great experience. I I had done done advanced work, you know, in the past coming, you know, back in the day and then doing the playoffs. I had the Cardinals in 11 and it, it just been a long time in between. We it yeah. was fun to be here 30 plus years and finally get a world championship. Yeah.
1: It's awesome.
3: Do you want to talk a little bit about advancing um for the series? Sure. Uh, the uh the advanced work you,
1: you know, I know the- Will
3: and I, we actually have advanced together yeah. uh for World Series, but we uh um I was just you know wondering what were some of the things that you were looking for or how did you break it down? Do you, you guys have one guy folk a group focused on pitching, another one on hitting, another guy trying to steal you know signs or stealing and uh, tendencies or any of that stuff.
2: Yeah, the, uh, the the first thing that they told us was don't worry about pitch sequences and what they're doing to get you out. You know, look look for stuff that is off the ball. That is, you know, I mean the TV screen will show you the ball all the time. The pitcher throwing it, the hitter hitting it. And then it'll flash out to the fielder catching it. So we we're, we're looking for things opportunities off the ball, something, maybe they don't back up a base. Uh, The catcher can block the ball, but he doesn't control it. It gets away from him. That actually came into play in uh, the the world series as well. You know, their catcher does a great job blocking the ball, but he doesn't control it. It bounces away. We were able to steal a run off of it. Um, You know, giving, do their base runners tip signs, you know, anything that you don't see on a normal, hitters how do you get it we did not focus on how to get a hitter out we did not focus on how to beat this pitcher but what we did do was find some tips that the pitcher were giving on what pitch he was going to throw we we looked at their defensive alignment opportunities to take an extra base on outfielders that couldn't throw um do they hit their cutoff men you know arizona they they like to run their cutoff men way deep they're out they're out very far and their infielders throw better than their outfielders. So, I mean, it was an opportunity maybe for us to, to see if there was an extra base in there somewhere. So, uh, you know, they were, they were, Arizona was a fun team to watch because they, they did a lot of stuff. They were athletic. They ran all over the place. They were aggressive. They were, they were a fun team and they're going to be a fun team for a few years. They are a, a, a very talented bunch. So, you know, I'm sure sometime in the next couple of years, they'll be back right where they were. But, uh, you know, but Mark, to answer your question very, very vaguely, I guess, is we weren't looking traditional advanced work where how do you attack this hitter? that That's all done in house via numbers, the analytics part, what the guy can hit, percent, percent of swing, things like that, that uh, we just didn't dive into. We looked strictly. For anything that might be off the ball that we could take advantage of to get an extra base, um, you know, a hard 90 down the line, can we force an infielder to make an error? Um, anything that might come into play that's not hitter or pitcher specific. You know, it's, it
3: allows you to ask questions about other things other than day to day stuff that you can get from inside edge or bats or, you know, these, uh, uh, capture video, capture things. where you can bring up anything. You could have seventy-two. Uh, I want to see a bat with this guy with two strikes and a on day games with seventy-two degrees. You know, and boom, there will be all the bats that he ever had in that situation. So you don't really need guys to do that.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Right. You know the field. Come the, the way the field played uh, it was huge as well. I mean, their field with the roof open and with the roof closed played played completely different. So. You know, seeing things like that that don't show up in a uh, predictive model helped us as well.
1: Mike, did uh, did Boch and Maddox and your hitting coach have a lot of uh, input with you guys in, in, as far as doing that?
2: Yeah, our our guys were great. Will, I mean, we yeah. we met with them before the series, and um, we we went over each each specific thing with the uh, with the coach. You know, our base running. Guy that was in charge of base running, we talked about their catching. We talked about their base runners. Uh, you know, Maddox. You know, Mike. Uh, Mike has a very s- specific way that he goes about his approach. He uh, was was receptive to what we said and uh, took it and, and turned it into his words, which right. Are, you know, good for him. You know, yeah. boach, boach same thing. He wanted to know, hey, when 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 are they going to pinch it? You know, when when are who are they going to pinch it for? And and what are the situations? So,
3: you know, I yeah, was, those are important. Especially uh, the pinch hitting stuff is really important because you're all prepared for it, or you might want to get that guy out of the game by bringing a certain pitcher in that you know they'll pinch hit.
1: Correct. Um, you, know, there, uh, you know, in '97, um, we had gone away from an advanced scout with the Marlins, but Leland, um, when we played the Braves. And oddly enough, because the Pirates were a whole new team, uh, he wanted to get some stuff on both of those teams. So I went out in advance, and then I advanced the Giants. And you know, he w- him and Larry Rothschild uh, were very specific on things that they wanted. And you know, a couple of them, you know, were just you know, push comes to shove, three two bases loaded, game seven. Uh, uh, where's his weakest place in the zone with a fastball Yeah, that um, push comes to shove. uh, Who's he going to pinch hit uh, in this situation? So those were the things that he really wanted us. And then anything else that stuck out. And I know in 97 uh, we played the giants in the first round and we won game one and uh we had noticed that Roberto Hernandez never threw over when he came into a game. They got him at the end of the season, the Giants, and uh, Sheffield stole base and ended up being the game one, you know, winning run that scored. And like a dumbass, he said in the paper that our advance scouts noticed that Hernandez never threw over, so we we lost that advantage. But Leland was so appreciative when that series was over, you know, we, we traveled with the team, they celebrated in the clubhouse. He chased me and Murray cook and Charlie Silvera down. And he said, you know, you gave us something that helped us win game one and probably helped us win this series. And, you know, that's why those guys are hall of fame managers because of that, that appreciativeness that Boach had for what you guys just did and what you gave them, because the one guy that you guys, you know, I don't know if I want to say who it is, and you don't want to say who it is, but you know, the guy who you guys figured out was tipping pitches had swing and misses like crazy in the previous series.
2: Correct. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, it, it, we kept advancing the whole season, you know, the whole series too. I mean, yeah. that we had, I mean, Bobby Bandolo and Theo Hooper are what are our in-game planners? They're the ones that put together the game plan, and w- along with our staff, obviously. But uh, you know, Theo and Bobby were sitting the row behind us. I got up in the third inning of Game Five, and I said, "Hey, look, you might want to go take a look at this." He went underneath, came back, thumbs up, yep. And so, I mean, it, it it continued the whole series. And like I said, Curtis Young and Kendall Coleman were the other two on our staff and Doug Davis who was our AAA yeah. manager we had him in for you know to pick off signs and whatever he came up with where their signs were coming from and, and just look it was a team effort not not one guy did anything more than anybody else it was a great effort and obviously we had a, a really good team
3: yeah no. yeah I've, I've told the story before but I I was coaching for the Indians and uh, the uh Jesse Arrosco had played on that 88 88- Dodger team that won the World Series against Oakland in that four game sweep uh, of a team they really weren't supposed to beat, and uh, and it was a Gibson home run. And I, I had told, I asked Jesse, I said, Jesse, you have know the scout World Series scouting report that you guys had when you were with the Dodgers because he'd been with the Dodgers, and he said, Yeah, I got it. I'll bring it tomorrow. So he brought it. I still have it. Wow. And and in that deal, it, it says exactly what what uh, the scouting report said about uh, about uh, him backdoor in the breaking ball, Eckersley backdoor in the breaking ball to Gibson, and to look for it with like two strikes. Wow.
1: And I think, and, that, uh, was, and I think that was Mel Didier. That, that It was that, Mel Didier yep.
3: and um, um, who was the other guy? Uh,
1: yeah.
3: I, yeah, there were two guys that did that report. And uh, it was, I mean, that just goes to say it can be one comment in a scouting report that can have an unbelievable impact on a game in a a championship series like that.
1: All worth it.
3: it. Oh, it it was Stevenson.
1: That's right, Jerry Stevenson.
3: Jerry Stevenson and Mel Didier. They did the report, the advance on Oakland. And, you know, I was hoping I could get something out of that but uh, unfortunately we didn't have the talent that the Dodgers had when we had to play Oakland. That's Only when they had all the bonds.
2: talent, doesn't it, Mark?
3: Yeah, you can know a lot of really subtle stuff if the games are close, but if you're getting blown out because the other team is so much better than you, it it doesn't really play. Correct. But uh, well, hey will, I just want to bring up in that 1997 which you always have to bring that into every conversation you oh, can. Sorry. <laughs> 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 because I was coaching for the Indians in that seventh game of the World Series, we lost. But I just want to say this: Did you have a good report on Eric Gregg in the in the series before that?
1: No, we paid him.
3: <laughs> That's what I figured. <laughs> I I say say, yes. Hey, hey, be uh, you know th- this guy has a wide zone, so you better not be too
1: patient. <laughs> uh, we 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 said if Levan pitches. Uh, it's a 27-inch plate if Eric Gregg is, is, is going. And Huizinga uh, sent some money to give Eric. He was in the first round there. He probably
3: got Eric. He started that, that restaurant in, in Philly yeah. at the ballpark, yeah. Eric Gregg's Restaurant. <laughs> I, I go way back with Eric. I was playing in AAA when he was a AAA okay. umpire. Yeah, And I used to tell guys, I said, you know, Everybody knows Eric is a really large man. Yep. He was a large man, very nice man. Very nice. But when he was a young guy, he was he was built like Joe Carter. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. I used to tell guys that I said I said Eric used to be built like Joe Carter. They go, "No way." And I, I'm telling you, you ask anybody anybody in the in the 70s that were in the Pacific Coast League, Eric was there and that's what he looked like.
1: No, uh, he you know, I used to see him all the time in Philly and I always thanked him when I was be wearing my World Series. <laughs> oh man.
3: Yeah. We I remember watching those games and we were like going, Are you kidding me? Gosh.
1: I said it, 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 man, it, it,
3: is, are the Braves mad
1: or what? It was it, it was embarrassing to be, you know. As, as happy as I was, I was going. Oh, that's not right! That ball's eight inches off the plate.
3: And he was demonstrative in his calls
1: too. Oh yeah, yeah. it was um, it was like it became
3: the Eric Gregg show. Right,
2: right. He had that. He
3: had that right arm going
2: up even before oh. I think he released the ball half the time.
3: Oh, it was unbelievable. <laughs> it, was it was like naked gun, right? That's how <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I still go. I still upset that. Even though we lost the World Series, I can't believe Alou didn't get MVP.
1: Yeah, yeah, Moises had a great series. Moises had – he should have won it. Matter of
3: fact, no. my neighbor across the street where I live in Orlando was like best friends with them. And uh, she says next time he comes over to the house, he lives in the area, I guess. She says, I'll bring him over to you. I said, well, you tell him he should have been the MVP.
1: He should have. You know, and I told you, he saved my life in the Dominican when I was coaching there. The one night when the guy had the gun at my on my chest when somebody had hit and run and killed somebody in a white van, and I was driving the players home from uh, Astreas back to Santa Domingo, and the guy stopped me, and said, he had a gun on my right, right on my heart, uh, 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 a rifle with his finger on the trigger and screaming and yelling, and I'm going, Moises, please tell this guy not to kill me
3: wow oh my
1: that was crazy it's not- but i had a presidente in my other hand too
0: <laughs>
2: Not
3: sure. yeah if- you didn't get arrested for drinking and driving no. a dominican
1: no no just is that even a thing down there no, no no it's not geez i remember you know like when i first went there to play it was like yeah you can drink and drive i'm going watch yeah. I mean, we'd have one on the way home or whatever. Right. Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. It, not, Mike, I got a question for you with, uh, you know, the profession is a grind. I mean, I, I talked to Will and Mark about it all the time. Um, what what motivates you to get up every day to keep doing it um, at a high level? And, and again, you you had to do it at the highest level to win a World Series this year. What, what's that drive inside you that gets you get you going every day?
2: I think it's just the the, the entire passion of the game, Dave. I mean, Look, ba- baseball is not a job; it's a passion, and it's been in my blood for a long time. I mean, as a young boy, you know, baseball cards laid out everywhere, APBA games laid out everywhere. Um, this is just—it's a passion of mine, and to get up and to be at the ballpark to to see good talent. And and honestly, lately, most the drive is uh, that's where my friends are. They're at the ballpark. I can't wait to get to the ballpark and see other scouts, friends, guys that, uh, you know, you just met that are asking questions and you're like going, I wonder what he's going to ask me tomorrow. Uh, but, but the drive is internal because it's, you know, the game is internal. It's my, it's my passion.
0: Yeah. How about you too? You guys have been doing it a long time. You still do it every day, at least once a week with me, Mark. But I know
2: you're, well, I
3: think it's, I think it's uh, the fact that it's never the same. Day to day, there's always something new, always something spectacular that can happen. Um, you know, we get into the point about guys not being allowed to achieve special things now, especially pitchers, uh, with the short leashes. But uh, you know, it's funny, I listened to a broadcast, MLB broadcast yesterday with Gibbons on there. Um, he's uh, what is he's
1: a new bench coach yeah, for the yeah, Mets, coming back to the Mets,
3: yeah, and he said he sounded like he was on our show and he was talking about what happens when a guy has a special, he says, you know, you can have a guy called up from AAA, and it could just be his day. He says, so he's striking everybody out. Nobody's seeing the ball. They're missing it. He says, you know, why would you take him out? You know, even though maybe he's never done that, you know, I mean, I had a, a guy with the Orioles one time that came from double a He had never thrown a complete game, never had, obviously didn't have a shutout because he'd never thrown a complete game. And in the big leagues, after just a few starts, he threw a complete game shutout against the Braves Wow! in the big leagues. You know, I mean, it's in there with some guys, but you got to be allowed to do it. And that's probably, I love going to see, see unique things happen every day. Everything's different. But the one thing that's becoming too much the same is not giving them opportunities.
0: Yeah, and well, I know you're you. I I talk to you uh, a ton. I, I would love the audience to hear yours because I hear your passion every uh, twice a week now. But yours is a family affair. I mean, you have a lot of your family has been in scouting. And yeah. Your son Dante's a hitting coach for Win Reality now. Your nephew, yeah. um, you know, Frank, it, what about it,
1: you? It's, it's certainly a passion. It's a love. It's not a job. It's something that you love, and I think you can hear it here. It's the relationships that we build. You know, you guys, you know, uh, are friends that I deeply love and care about. And always a good day whenever I'm talking to you. Uh, we laugh. We joke. We bust each other's balls. Um, but being at the ballpark, you know, I uh Luke Appling I met my second year coaching. Uh, he was uh roving instructor with the Braves at the time. He was eighty nine years old and Grady Little was managing in Durham and he that was that same year. Uh Mike, I don't know if you remember, Luke used to roam uh, rove with the Braves. And oh yeah, absolutely. I sat and uh, got to the ballpark because he had just hit that home run in the, the Cracker Jack Old Timers game, right, at eighty nine years old, like like the year before or whatever. And I, I I couldn't wait to talk to him because it was a legendary name. And I sat and um, I remember he said to me, he said, you know, you're going to do okay. You know, you're you're a good listener. He said, "But just remember, every day, like you said, Mark, when you come to the ballpark, you learn something new, you see something new, um, and it's time to quit if that doesn't excite you. Um, and and it and it does, you know. Like I leave the ballpark sometimes. Unfortunately, now it's going. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I just watched what I watched. But but you do see something new every day at the ballpark." Uh, somebody does something special that you go, Oh my gosh, that was an unbelievable play. Or that was an unbelievable job. The guy came in bases loaded, no outs. What an unbelievable job pitching. So it's a great game. And, and, uh, you know, we all love it and we all love our relationships that we've developed from the game as well.
0: Well, that comes out in your podcast each week. I, and I tell you each week I, how much I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's enjoyable baseball listen, but it's also a message to our audience too, about the the connectivity, the friendships. It's about people, no matter what you do. So I appreciate you guys bringing that out every week. What we've kept, sorry, Mike, I told you the hour is going to go by quick. We've kept Mike for well over an hour. I mean, you guys can keep rolling if you want. If not, you got some last questions for, for Mike, Mike, how much time do you have?
2: I I am good to go. However, <laughs> you know, like this is baseball, Dave. I mean, this is what yeah. we do. We sit and talk and you know, they turn into hours,
0: but, uh, these guys can keep, these guys can roll, so I, I'd be careful with that. You just
1: uh, you
0: unleash this duo here; they can go for hours. But uh, did, yeah. oh, keep going! Dave, you guys got more Dave,
1: stuff. Dave, I one quick mention: Um I've 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 uh, given a thumbs up on the espresso from Blackout Coffee. Yes, I'm drinking the Rude Awakening. Yeah, was another dark roast. Highly recommended. I think I just espresso. Got that one. I think espresso, I got a little bit ahead of it right now, but uh, Rude Awakening is a good one as well.
0: Is that a notch below in terms of the, the Yeah, the it, okay.
1: one and 1A right now.
0: Well, I, I was <laughs> drinking the espresso, was it last week? And then Kevin made a comment. Kevin Kernan, who's a star of Coaching Kernan for our network, made a comment. Boy, your your intro was like all hopped up today. I like that. And I was like, well, I think I had two espresso before the, the show. He goes, well, keep doing that. Keep doing that.
3: <laughs> I've,
0: I've toned down. I'm on the route. I bought the root Awakening too. So I'm, I haven't tapped into that yet. That'll be a post show.
3: Yeah. I was just pleased that they had the pods because I'm the lazy man using the Kirk.
0: That's all right. Those are dangerous. Okay. So get in there. So, um, well, yeah, I mean, last questions for Mike there. You guys can keep rolling. I mean, the baseball talk is great. Our audience is, is uh, will will love it. Um, up to you guys.
1: Mark, you got anything? No, other the fact
3: that, you know, you know that I will go back to where you celebrated for the world series championship. Uh, you know, some people, you know, I know fans do, and they, they don't realize how hard it is to get to the world series much less win it. You know, it's, it's an unbelievable experience when you're involved in the playoffs to begin with the excitement when you win around, um, but winning the World Series is a, is the ultimate, the highest level. Uh, you know, I was a in, I was a coach in the minor leagues in AAA when we won it with the Orioles. Um, it's such a a great feeling to everybody in the organization, and and uh, I love it when organizations give everybody the same ring. I hate it when they go with two different ring levels. Um, I think everybody worked hard to get there and it doesn't happen every day.
0: What well, Mike, what about you? What, what haven't we covered? What do you want to leave our audience with? What, what, um, you can post questions to these guys if you want to.
1: No,
2: I, I, I guess the, uh, you know, coming into this, you know, I mean, will kind of prep me a little bit and said, it's just baseball talk. And I think the thing that, uh, you know, really stands out about this podcast alone is that, uh, it's it's genuine. You know, you you hear it in Mark's voice. You hear it in Will's voice. I hear it from Will a lot. We talk on the phone or at the ballpark. So this is my first time being around Mark, and you can just hear it. And the thing that uh, that that emphasizes about true, real baseball people. I mean, we can we can talk about that all day long. The old guys, the new guys. You know, the way it is now, the way it was then you know but but the game is the game and i i don't understand trying to change a round wheel because it rolls and i don't understand trying to you know turn something into nothing but that doesn't need changing but uh you know we have we have a game that is evolving uh it's fan-based and whatever the fans want they're going to do i don't always agree with their, all the changes that are made you know, the shifting rules and the bases and all, all of that. I, I get it, but uh, you know, that's out of my pay grade, but I, I, I love the genuine game, the old, the old fashioned baseball scouting, projecting, and you can hear the passion from these two guys. And I mean, I, I, um, I, as listeners listen beyond this podcast alone, I I recommend hearing it because you guys are just I didn't really know what to expect, but it's awesome just to hear the the joy of the game coming out of you guys.
0: These two have helped us grow a ton. We started out with one show, right, Will, way back when? Yeah. And yeah. Like a over a year ago, and now we're up to 10 shows on the network with the likes of Jim Cott, Hall of Famer, has a show. Jeff Fry has a show on our network that, that I co-host and produce with them. And Bob these guys Hill, are a
1: hit. Bob Schaefer, I'm sure you yeah, know yeah. him, right, Schaefer. Brassy. Yeah, we yeah. are. Yeah, well, it's yeah. funny because a
3: lot of the – the people that have the podcast now are guests. The they all are guests, yeah. yeah. Every
1: single
0: one they get, <laughs> everybody They, were guests. they came guest. back and they said, "Hey, I loved it so much. What would you think about doing a show?" And we take yeah. time with it, but uh, it's meshed well into a nice baseball family. And that what, what you mentioned, Mike. I'm so glad you did because that's kind of what we're trying to build with Real Voice to the Game. And we are we are including these guys, if you can imagine, and in 74 countries right now we're listened to. Wow! Um, so it's uh, it's catching on somewhere.
3: Catching well, on. we're trying to to. Help people that we feel like have um, the game has disappointed them, yeah. you know, by letting them go when they had vast knowledge um, for various reasons. Um, you know, guys like Darren Holmes, who was let go as the assistant pitching coach of the Orioles after the year they had, uh, the pitching coach was reassigned. I, I, I don't, those are on field things that bother the hell out of me. Uh, that when people do their job and are successful at their job and the team's successful, you know, why it it comes to somebody's decision to replace them or replace veteran scouts that have had a big impact on an organization. Um, you know, it can't be to save money because scouts don't make that much and a lot of coaches don't make that much. Yeah. So, you know, when you make decisions on guys and keep an entire analytics department and and, and get rid of a bunch of veteran scouts, it makes no sense to me.
2: No, I'm not sure how that one will ever make sense to anybody that has A, a played the game, and B, watched the game. I mean, you know, Mark, you mentioned the disappointment of the game. I mean, I would encourage people to watch the game for the positives. I mean, because, you know, Will, we sit out there and watch some of these double-A, A-ball, triple-A, whatever games, and we just scratch our head. Yeah. going, well, what in the world are we watching? But within all that – you pick out the good, you pick out the the, yeah. the real players and and it's there. The, the game's going to roll on for a long time. And, and this is a phase and it'll go away like every other phase in this game does. And, and something new will come and, or something old that they call new will come. And <laughs> the, the thing that I like to uh, talk about with our analytics people is, and I give them a hard time, you know, I'm like, you, you know, about every five years, Jeff peanut butter will slap a new label on their (laughs) peanut butter and call it new and improved. Yeah. But you know, what's in the jar It's peanut butter and that's this game. They can come up with different names and phrases and buzz phrases, OPSs and exit velocities. And, but it's the same thing we've talked about forever. And it's the game. The game is the game. You can't change it. It is what it is. I don't like some of the Twitter accounts, hitting gurus, pitching gurus, but that too will go because you know, when, the, when kids start seeing themselves suffer that it'll change, it'll come back. And I just, I want to stay positive because it's a positive game and I want to encourage everybody stick with it. It's a great game. Baseball is a perfect game and it needs to, it needs to just keep going. Cause it will, it'll, it'll evolve. It always does.
1: Hey, Hey, grassy. You'll love this one. I think it might've been ironically the week that we had Jim Palmer on Jeff passing, had some Twitter guru who was taking credit for a 12-6 curveball. <laughs> um, Mark Mark had a 70-curveball. Uh, Jim Potter had a 70 or an 80-curveball. I had a pretty good knuckle curve that was a 12-6 pitch. But there was a guy on Twitter, and that's how we started the show. Dave got under Mark's skin right off the bat and said, <laughs> Mark, did you see that somebody just invented a 12 6 curveball? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So, uh, you didn't have you to know. do an
0: intro that day. That was 20 minutes plus. Yeah,
1: that was, well, don't even get me going. You know, yeah. should,
3: <laughs> too, late. Yeah, too late. We need a, a, hundred, a hundred years of video showing it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, you, know, yeah. you
3: know what's funny
2: is, is, I look at old scouting reports and it's almost like it's turned upside down because, we, you know, when you write a report, physical, Uh, strengths weaknesses and then summation it's now like the weaknesses are the strengths you know flat sweepy sliders used to be no no good now it's a thing full violent effort deliveries was was a weakness and now it's a strength yeah you know it's 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 a short arm guys recoil guys these things were all negatives back in the day and now they're positives and you know it's
0: like i said i i just the game is secular and it'll it'll turn around. I think that's a good uh, a good message out there to, to end on. I love the, the peanut butter analogy too. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to yeah, steal that too. one. But uh, guys, thanks so much for a great show. Mike, thanks for coming on and giving us yeah. well over an hour here today.
1: Awesome but, job, Grassy. Loved it. Thank, thank you, guys. so I much, Mike. It. You thank got
0: you. A, got an open invite to come back anytime. Just just yeah. let us know. We'll, we'll have you on impromptu day of to our audience sixty. I challenged 61,000 by Christmas. I upped the bar. You guys hit your goal early, so might as well raise it. We got one more week before we take a couple weeks off with the holiday. Let's get us up to 61,000. You guys know what to do to battle the analytics of the podcast Roll Five stars, some great comments. We can keep rising the charts of iHeartRadio's podcast network. Blackout Coffee, be awake, not woke. You got Will G, all capitals, 20, or Mark W, 20, all caps as well coffee's on the coaches here this week. So, and all of 2024, you guys are picking up the tab. So hit them up at checkout, 20% off all your coffee purchases. Make sure you take a look at Ted Kubiak's book, two great books, old school, how to field a ground ball. They will not disappoint. And uh, guys, thanks for a great show. Mike, thanks for being a great guest for us today. We appreciate you.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you
0: guys. Congratulations on the world championship. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Sleigh bells ring Are you listening In the lane Snow is glistening A beautiful sight